Heat Seeking Panther, Miles and Dave, talking about Nicholas Cage. Hey, Dave. The only criminal he can't catch is himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think, I mean, I've obviously <laughs> realized it before, but I don't think I've like, I, I, it's never really, I've never considered the fact that that video is in Italian. It is. <laughs> and they count down to the roar. Three, two, <laughs> one. Oh, boy. Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, this is... We're here. We're here, man. We made it. This was like a a milestone, I think. I feel like we've spent like six months building up to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, making our way through like the nexts and the Bangkok dangerouses. And the fucking... uh, What's the Ghost Rider? Ghost Rider. um, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, this so this the, one, actually the bad lieutenant yeah, port of call New Orleans. Which is weird because it's listed at the beginning when the title comes up as the bad lieutenant, mm-hmm. but nowhere in any official database or on the internet could I find <laughs> it reproduced that way. No. God, where where do we want to start? I um, don't know, man. I guess have you seen this before? Yeah, I saw it uh probably a year with like within a year of when it came out. I uh-huh. remember the one of the guys I was living with at the time because we were all Herzog fans. Like we right. were deep into Herzog at that point, our whole friend group. And uh, yeah, he was just like, hey, here's the new Herzog movie. He just like came home with the DVD one day and we popped it on. And I remember, I think there were three or four of us watching it and we were all just like, what even mm-hmm. is going on? Uh, but I haven't seen it since then. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I was able to, you know, re-experience it with like a different mindset, with different eyes, and yeah. kind of kind of consider things differently about it. I think once the what the fuck factor wears off, I think the second time around, I definitely could enjoy it more. Yeah, I well, I think too. I I watched it in high school when I was. I I, I talked about this before, but I, I declared Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's important to be honest about what's going on yeah. while we're recording this. <laughs> I, I was a declared Nicolas Cage fan, and this was like kind of you know the the beginnings of Nicolas Cage as like a, a meme before memes were even like a mainstream thing. Like people were talking, you know, The Wicker Man had come out, and and so this was like I remember there was the buzz of you know the just the he was gonna and i was also you know into film at that point so i i forget what herzog i'd seen probably just like grizzly man and something enough to know that he made a bunch of weird shit it was like it was like a big event and uh definitely my i remember being like wow there's some some really good like you know some nicholas cage living up to the like (laughs) caricature um and then but there's a lot of other stuff here that I'm like struggling to digest. So I was also glad to like come back to it. Yeah. I think having seen way more movies since the first time I saw it Mm -hmm. has helped put it into perspective as well. A little bit more just in terms of a lot of the, like, I don't think that I consciously appreciated the camera work and cinematography the first time I Mm. saw it, but it really draws attention to itself and not in a distracting or, or bad way, mm-hmm. but it is, it is a technically flawless film, really. And I thought it was interesting. I, I um, was reading and listening to interviews with Herzog and, and Cage to get ready for it. And uh, something that um, he's, they stress is like uh, 
so this the, this movie was two days under schedule and two point six million dollars under budget, which that's a miracle. Is great. Is is super cool. I was also looking at it as kind of just like pure like filmmaking uh, perspective too, and and just being like that's one of the reasons that you, one of the ways that you can be someone like Herzog is to do whatever you want, but have it come in under budget and, and make, you know, I'm, I, I didn't look up how much it made. I mean, look, the dude lifted a fucking boat over a mountain. <laughs> so he knows how to be economical he with does. the film's budget clearly. And part of that too was, um, something that I've never thought about or, or really heard people complain about is like, he doesn't shoot unnecessary stuff and there's there's uh, like so do you mean he doesn't do extra coverage yeah he doesn't he he knows what he wants in his head and this is something that i've heard about the cohen's too is that they know exactly what they want and they go in and they just shoot that and that's really impressive yeah and and uh, apparently cage was like really into that too he he's quoted as saying like on this on the uh set as like forcing everybody to stop talking and saying that he has an announcement. And then he just pointed at Herzog and was like, finally, someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it makes sense too. That's like when you have, when you're doing what cage is doing here, where he, you know, is, is going over the top where necessary. The fact that Cage doesn't look tired in this film, which is something that he started to look in um, many other in films. Many of these films. Of the or period, he, yeah. he looks, yeah, I mean, his character looks tired, but he as an actor looks like. How haggard he looks is all, you, you can tell it's a choice. Yep. And a really good one. I mean, I think this is Cage's best performance of this of this corner of his career. Sense adaptation, I would say. Probably, yeah. It, um, yeah. Uh, his physicality is is there completely like because a huge part of his character uh is that he is suffering from like chronic pain and so he he's hunched and, and constant drug use as a result right and so he's in a spiral of uh just pain and then you know the effects of drug use and then the side effects of coming of not being on drugs yeah so the physicality of the pain the physicality of the different kinds of drugs that he's taking like i love like scene to scene how many times does he hit a crack pipe in this movie? <laughs> Fuck. Um, least, I should have kept count. At least four, I think. Yeah. More than that. But but yeah, there's like scenes where he's really up and really cokey. And then there's, and there's scenes where you can tell that he's like, you know, in hour 36 of a binge and he's right. feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like he's on like painkillers or heroin or and, and it just like. He pulls. A, he does a great performance, and I was thinking too. We've talked about Cage being basically ahead of his time in showing what an what choices an actor can make that go beyond the go go into the realm of caricature and beyond, and that and make it an artistic choice that pays dividends. Here we have him leaning into what was becoming the sort of. The caricature, as that was, be and and uh, the meme, if you will, the meme, and bringing it out the other side with something more interesting, and and it's it's cool because I I saw an interview with him where he's saying he was like, well, 
I knew, <laughs> I knew that it was bad lieutenant. And so a big part of that was I was going to have to be doing bad things. And, I, and people were going to enjoy watching me do bad things. And the way he talks about responsibility, where he said that he felt that he, the responsibility that he can bring to that is to just unglamorize it huh. completely and to show, just to make it grotesque. I mean, and, it worked. And, it, and, and that, I think that is in, in saying like beyond, like in saying that I, I watched it as a teenager ready for like a Nicolas Cage freak out and I got more than that and I didn't know what to do with it. I think that's part of it is that like- Because you, the freak outs are there they're, and, and they're great. They're great. I mean, I think you can pick- I can pick like three scenes at least off the top of my head that are iconic. Like some of the best, not just like, you know, meme worthy freakouts, but just like great cage acting. Um, and, but then there's so much other work and there's so, and the, the way that, and and but and the thing is, there's other stuff going on in the film besides Cage. Yes. So if you want to if you want to focus on mm -hmm. other stuff, there is enough to get deeply involved in. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, I honestly, I think that from the acting to the script to the camera work mm -hmm. to to uh, the production design to a lot of the themes being explored. I mean, this movie really is like it. It everything came together. Yeah. In a perfect way, on yeah, this film. It, it did. I agree. I I would say I think the script is that it, it's scripted by this dude William uh, Finkelstein yeah. is his name, and he <laughs> I know, uh, but he this it makes sense after knowing what else he has written mm -hmm. that this movie plays the way that it does. Yeah, uh, he's like a multiple Emmy winner and nominee for Law and Order. He mm -hmm. did NYPD Blue, L.A. Law, like all these procedural right. cop legal dramas yep yeah he's working on the good fight now and this is i think one of his only movies maybe his only one and i think it's actually pretty boilerplate the way that the the story plays out is not necessarily super imaginative in terms of like the the MacGuffin. i think i'm using that right i mean there the, this there's this like central mystery i guess or, or or like driving force which is like you know who who, who, who shot up who shot up the apartment complex that uh, nicholas cage is now investigating but it feels completely by the yeah. way yeah and from the from the way that it's shot and filmed and just and just the way that because it, it holds just as much weight as all these other things like nicholas cage having to pick up his dad's dog and bring it with, you know, like all this other love, weird business. I love the scene where he's in like Ava Mendez's high rise yeah. with the dog. And then the, and the gangster is just like, do you want me to shoot the dog? And cage is just like, I don't give a fuck about the dog. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but the dog is just in the movie for like probably half an hour of the movie. And he says that at the, the here's like does this shot as he says that where the, the gangster gestures at the dog with his gun and the dog like looks up at the gun like he's gonna like lick it. He's like, oh, who me? It's like super almost like manipulative and it like the camera pans down and pans back up to Cage. He's like, I don't give a fuck about the dog. <laughs> Just don't, don't touch Ava Mendez. I, what, what I was gonna say is like these, I feel like all the like actual things that happen that should be like big story points um, are kind of by the, by the way, and and all the like it's populated by a bunch of characters but 
they're all, I would say, pretty underdeveloped. In like you were saying about it coming together, like, but all of both of those things end up adding to the sense that it's just this kind of like junky fever dream. It like, feels surreal. It feels t- like completely surreal. Like in the same way, it has a lot of the same energy as like fear and loathing. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's not quite as bonkers as that. Mm-hmm. Like, but cages. I mean, there are like hallucinations happening, and you can't always really tell. Mm-hmm. Like, if cages, if cages experience, and thus what we're what is being shown to us on screen is the reality of the situation. Yeah, but I think the real druggy thing that we're both referring to is the pacing of it. It's just yeah. it's paced. So there's some procedural stuff. Then there's, you know, stuff with this bookie and stuff with, and it, and it all kind of like a clutch cameo by Brad Dourif, like so good. And like for once he's not playing like a creep or like a, or like a serial killer. He's just, he's just kind of like a seedy bookie that like hangs out in a bar. Seedy as anybody else. I mean, but the, but the ponytail that he has. God. And his wardrobe too. It's, it's great. Just shout out to the cast. I mean, there's Ava Mendez is back um, at, after playing the love interest in Ghost Rider. Her and Cage, weirdly enough, have good chemistry. They together, do, which it's, Cage doesn't have with a lot of other female <laughs> co-stars. It's a weird chemistry, but it works. But it works somehow. Yeah, she kind of meets him on his level, and not in an odd, like not in the way that she's acting. Like she doesn't go, she doesn't go to Cage's level in her acting. No. but but she she accepts, she accepts and reciprocates. Every, yes. The, the kinds of choices that he gives her in, yeah. in a really subtle way that yes. like a lot of other of his like leading ladies don't really do. No, exactly. She, she's not thrown off by him at all. I, I mean, her, again, her role I think is also kind of underdeveloped in this, but it, it adds that she's just like the, you know, his loving support. And I appreciate that it's like, you know, you have the crooked cop and his prostitute girlfriend, but their relationship is like normal. nice yeah. and normal. And like for all the other things, uh, that he does wrong, like Cage supports her and is like good to her. Well, and it's and it's and, it, it it's like weirdly progressive in a way is. that she doesn't. She's not painted as some you know like mm-hmm. like a lot of like uh, prostitutes or sex workers in movies have to be you know like rescued or there's mm-hmm. some like extremely problematic situation with their life that like force them into this. But she's just kind of like doing her, her job. job. And, there, and then she goes home to yeah. Cage at the end of the day and they're just like a loving couple together. I mean, there are other characters who stigmatize her, but he doesn't in any way. And um, I mean, also like a big part of their relationship is obviously drug use, but she gets clean and it's fine. <laughs> you yeah, know? she just, she goes to like the AA or the 12 step or whatever. And she's just like, yeah, okay. Right. And then, and then Cage is just kind of like left there with the crack pipe in his hand being like, what? So that's it. You're done. That I think like leads to a, a bigger sort of discussion, which is like this film for, for all the things about it that are boilerplate about the sort of like the, just as a noir, like it does not have a, ser- it's not sermonizing or even necessarily moral. Like it doesn't. I mean, I, arguably a lot of the main characters are pretty bad people. Yes. Well, so Herzog and Cage have this, uh, this, uh, this oh, is such. Well, I'm sorry. Before we no. move on, we kind of got sidetracked. We were going through the cast. Oh yeah. But oh, Michael Shannon, Michael Shannon, <laughs> a clutch Michael Shannon cameo. He's like really good in that. Like five minutes of screen time. Yeah. And um, then of course a, for some reason, Val Kilmer's in there. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. We should talk some more about Val, but, uh, Shay Wigham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, from Boardwalk Empire yeah. and Homecoming is f- the funniest I've ever seen him. <laughs> Whoa. 
whoa. He's he's so good. Fucking Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. Oh my god. Exhibit. <laughs> Alvin Fielder, you mean? <laughs> yes. Excuse me. I never knew that was Exhibit's real name. <laughs> he, honestly, it's he looks kind of like an Alvin in this movie. Like he for for what a good like gangster rapper he is he's kind of unconvincing as like extre- extremely movie. extremely unconvincing he looks like a nice boy <laughs> you know he's, he's really clean he's cut he's wearing like really guy. nice suits yeah. you know and he's just he's a genuinely charismatic friendly person yeah, yeah. you know what i mean uh yes herzog <laughs> i watched this interview where he's talking about film noir as a response to insecurity and uh, he talks about the Great Depression leading into like Raymond Chandler novels. And so that's, you know, post Katrina, New Orleans makes sense to him as a place to set a noir. He has this phrase that both he and Cage use um, to describe kind of what the film, I don't know if it's, it's really what the film is about, but um, a central theme of it is, he, call, he calls it the bliss of evil which I think is a really beautiful Herzogian kind of turn of phrase. Um, he also talks about uh, what he would say to Cage in the scenes uh, where you're supposed to be experiencing the bliss of evil, I think, is he would say, it's time to turn the hog loose. <laughs> Which uh, man, it would be great. so much fun to get directed by Herzog. I think <laughs> just yeah. just getting like quasi esoteric direction and trying to characterize it. <laughs> Turn the hog loose, and that's it, man. That's yeah. both of those phrases just purely fit. And I think it's interesting because I you don't really see a lot of movies, even you know, fourteen years later, uh, that have really that have used post-Katrina New Orleans specifically no, as a setting. As a setting for noir. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know. I was trying to think of other cities. Because like where... it, it's almost beside the point. Yeah. Like, it is, it is uh, relevant eventually. I think you realize why it's relevant that it's in New Orleans. But at first, it's kind of just a setting. And, and it, I mean, yeah, it's, it, cause, it, and it's not even really about the city, I don't think. No, it's not. And it's certainly not about the hurricane or like anything people specifically experienced during it. No, but the, I mean, something that's interesting in talking about, I don't know, I, I do want to talk about this movie's view on morality or, or moral stance if it has one. The corruption, the, the fact that the cops are corrupt seems to just be a given. There's no tension about if Nicolas Cage is going to get in trouble for it. Right. You know, the uh, the people who are are getting harassed by the cops just accept it. They're not going to, you know, what what can they do? And the other cops, even the ones who seem kind of like like Michael Shannon or something, who are they're just kind of like, you know, as long as it just don't mess up my day. Basically. Yeah, because Michael Shannon's character isn't. The only reason he tells him he can't, he has to stop is because they installed security cameras. Right. Which also then later on in the movie is one of my favorite scenes of when you, when you see Cage trying to rehearse how he can like get around the corner mm-hmm. with the evidence without getting in the line of sight. Yeah. And the, the, and he's like, see, the scale's broken. The scale's broken. And, and he's, and he, tr- and they, when they come in with the drugs, he's like, I'll get you the slip later. And I he know. just like shoves him out the door. And those cops too, they seem kind of like peeved, but also they're like, like when he hands it back to them, like clearly like with less heroin in it, they're like, well, it's still enough for a felony. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, because it's just paperwork to yeah. them, you know? 
I mean, would you say this movie has a moral stance? No. Or it, it's, no. it's not like amoral and it's not a celebration of amorality, I don't think, but... It, well, or I, is it? No, it's not. It's not. But I think what it does well that a lot of like moralizing films don't is it has a point of view, mm. but it allows you to come to it by watching the ripple effect of consequences that people's bad behavior has on other people, their mm -hmm. loved ones, the community, their place of work. I think you're right. I mean, Cage, for all intents and purposes, gets away with everything at the end, and we're led to believe that he'll just continue to be a shitty, corrupt cop forever. Right. And, you know, I mean, and there are people like that in the world. Uh, and it doesn't tell you that he's bad. Right. But I think from learning, you know, that he plants evidence, to, uh, that he pits gangsters against each other so that they can just kill each other off and then his problems are solved. But, you know, he only seems to really be interested in figuring out who murdered, who shot up the apartment building for the sake of basically using it against the people that did it, like like extorting them almost. Yeah, it's kind of unclear because there's that part. Oh, and, and then also when he pulls over the, the college football yeah. player and he tells him he has to throw the game so that Cage makes all of his money back. Yeah, on, on a bullshit like marijuana charge. Yeah. And again, like if I'm going to like ascribe like a political view or stance to that, that stuff feels really forward thinking that you see a, a cop using these like bullshit war on drugs, like charges just to, <laughs> you know, just to make a couple grand back in like yeah, gambling money, risk ruining this guy's like life and career just to, because he's a fuck up. But there's that scene like near the end where with cage and exhibit it exhibits like, what about the murders? And uh, don't you give a fuck about them? And cage is like, look at me, look at you. I never did. And it's just like, yeah, he didn't. The the one, like, I think unexplained and kind of enigmatic moral choice he makes is the one at the very beginning where he saves the dude in in the, uh, who is stuck in the jail cell during Katrina. He jumps down to save him and he, like, hurts his back. Because the, the movie, like, is bookended by him making seemingly just a, a moral choice to, you know, oh, I can't let this guy right, drown, even right. though Val Kilmer is like, says something really callous, like, oh, we'll just get the time of death from the autopsy guys later. Like, they're just going to let the jail fill up with, like, just drown the dude. Right. Yeah, they're, like, making bets on how long he'll take. And then, like, Cage, almost on, like, a stoned whim, it seems like. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm just going to save him. And it's interesting that in some ways, or maybe in a different movie, this, that would be, like, the turning point, I mean, that d sort of defines him is that he made this choice and now he's stuck with the pain, the physical pain from making this one moral choice. But the movie doesn't really like come no. out heavy handed with that. And and also, I mean, it's pretty apparent that he was a bad person bad, before yeah. that anyway. You know, person. like it, it didn't it didn't start his slide into being a bad lieutenant, <laughs> sorry. Or, or I guess, I mean, if you know, if there's ever going to be a sequel, bad captain. Bad captain, dude, I thought get, that too. Because he gets promoted at the end, like a true scumbag corrupt cop. Honestly, though, so I was thinking about that. I was like, bad captain sequel. And then I thought, no, the the real sequel that this needs is a spinoff about Kilmer's character. Dude, absolutely. Because Val Kilmer's character dude, Kilmer, is a dude, worse lieutenant. 
<laughs> worst lieutenant. Also, also, I want to see this Val Kilmer doing his best Don Johnson for like a whole movie. Like he yeah. basically is playing a fat Don Johnson. It's true. But his two like big character beats are him just telling Nick Cage to let the dude drown and him at the end where they're busting exhibit to be like, all right, no, send the other guys out of the room. We'll just shoot this guy and take his shit. And he's like, whoa, he, what's his fucking problem? <laughs> I want to know about him. Anyway, oh, give give Kilmer the role. Herzog, yeah. if D- Werner Herzog is listening to this, and I know there's a possibility he is. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know what? We could take a true, you know, modern franchise idea from you know the big wigs nowadays and have two separate spinoffs. So there's the Kilmer one, mm-hmm. right? Which is like worst lieutenant, right? Worst lieutenant. <laughs> and then there's also a seemingly endless series of bad lieutenants you can make of like bad lieutenants in different cities. You're talking about the like bad lieutenant expanded universe. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, so each one doesn't need to be connected because the first two aren't, you know, but there are some things they have in common. It's a shitty, corrupt, bad lieutenant who's a drug addict and a bad, just a bad lieutenant. We've had had Keitel. We've had cage. Yeah. Let's, let's give Kilmer some room to shine. And then, God, I, I mean, there's all kinds of actors I'd like Seriously, to see. Like, Seriously, I, I actually wouldn't mind a Bad Lieutenant Expanded Universe. No. I really wouldn't. And and I think that if you get good directors, you know, on the caliber of Herzog, mm-hmm. I mean, the possibilities are endless, really. There's a lot of ports of call. Yeah, it's very, very many. There's a <laughs> Speaking of which, we didn't talk about the original Bad Lieutenant at all. Have you seen it? So I watched it about... I don't know, a couple nights before I watched this one because mm. I had never seen it in full before. Yeah. I had seen the infamous scenes, like the one right. of him shooting up, the one of like the, the crucified church. Jesus yeah. in the church. I'd seen, you know, the highlights, but I'd never seen the whole thing. And I haven't it, seen it in like 10 years. But. Yeah. I mean, it's a harrowing movie. Yeah. It's one of those things where I can appreciate the artistry of it. And I think it's a career highlight for Keitel. Yeah. It's- Amazing. But I don't ever want to see it again. Well, I mean, Ferrara like, Ferrara doesn't it, make fun movies. No, and like, it just left me. It's such an oppressive. It's just such an oppressive film. The whole tone of it. Like at the end, I felt like shit for the rest of the night. I was like, I just watched like someone in the depths of human misery, yeah. like live out all of their worst fantasies for two hours. It's very Catholic. It's it's all just like Catholic. Which guilt. is it's which the, which I can I can jive with. Sure. I'm I'm Italian Catholic. Like sure. I, I get the Catholic guilt. I get it. But yeah, and like the whole thing with the rape of the nun, it just mm-hmm. it was too much for me. It mm-hmm. just left me with a bad taste in my mouth. The that film as I remember is much more driven by him figuring out that case right the like it's it's whereas this he's one, actually tortured by he's it. tortured by it and it's about you know his faith and stuff and herzog famously <laughs> had not seen <laughs> the original bad lieutenant or heard of abel ferrara so which when, is even funnier when when this movie came out abel ferrara uh, one of his exact quotes was i wish these people these people being I, i'm assuming the people that made Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. I wish these people would die in hell. I hope they're all in the same streetcar and it blows up. <laughs> and then Herzog, as a response, just in the biggest flex ever, just goes, I've never seen a film by him. I have no idea who he is. <laughs> so good. <laughs> 
Well, which like, why would you, I mean, I understand <laughs> that directors are close to their work, but like, why would you get that mad about this movie? I, I think that's the kind of dude that <laughs> Abel Ferrara is. It's, it's so funny though, because I don't think Herzog even, he, I, he, he didn't want them to call it bad Lieutenant. Like that was a choice that and the studios made. Yeah. And seemingly the only reason it is, is because this, it's the same producer, mm. like, the, like this producer whose name I, whose name I didn't write down, but he essentially, you know, greenlit the second one and was like, it's going to be an unconnected bad Lieutenant mm. movie. So he's and, already on the, yeah. So, universe. so, so he already like Herzog went into it knowing that. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, he's gone on record many times as saying he tried to change the title after uh-huh. the fact, but he couldn't. And then ultimately he doesn't really like, it's not that big of a deal. I think he, you know, yeah. he said something to the effect of, well, it's just a title. It's not that big of right. a deal, but he did want to get it away from having the baggage of the first one, especially since it's completely unrelated in all respects. Yeah. In in one of the interviews that I watched with him, he he talks about that, but he it is just like completely like unfazed and just laughing. And he was like, he compares it to like a baseball game. He's like, you know, like when you go see a baseball game, you may not remember like who wins or who loses, but if like the the coach goes out on the field and is yelling in the umpire's face or something like that's really memorable. And to him, that's what the Abel Ferrara thing is. He was just like completely delighted by it. He's yeah, like, right. He's like, who cares? That's funny. He's <laughs> basically just like causing a stir and drawing uh, attention. So yeah, man, I feel like there's still so much to talk about. I know, this. but I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Here's something I want to ask you. I don't mm-hmm. have an answer. I just think it would spark good conversation. What do the lizards mean? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it starts with uh, the shot of a snake in the in the water, like going between the, the cell bars and then like alligators and uh, lizards and, and everything. I mean- Various iguanas. Yeah, I, I that seemingly aren't there except in Cage's mind. That's that's got to be, if not the best scene, like one of one of the top scenes, the most iconic scenes of the movie. Um, uh, Herzog also uh, shot all of the reptile footage himself and is credited as doing it in the, um, reptile cam. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. I I would counter with what do the fish mean. Which is something I didn't pick up on. Yeah, that that's some magical realism fish going on right there. Because it seems like we almost go from like reptile world to fish world. Like if I'm going to like, uh, you know, this this is a take that I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to. But you know, we we start with a snake, and um, then we get reptiles as kind of like witnesses to all the things that Cage is doing. There's a scene early on when he goes to the shot up apartment building where he sort of like saves a fish, this uh, fish that was in this child's room and he puts it in a glass of water and he reads this poem that uh, is called My Friend and says, my friend is a fish. He live in my room. His fin is a cloud. He see me when I sleep. I don't know what that means, if it means anything, but it's beautiful. And at the very end of the movie, he meets uh, Chavez, the the guy who he saved at the start, as Cage is in 
uh, I guess a higher point, but also kind of a low. I mean, he's. I mean, just, he's in a hotel room just, just railing cocaine by himself. By himself. Um, but also, you know, which again, depending on which angle you're coming from, could be the greatest night of your life enough. or the fucking worst time <laughs> he, you've ever had. He looks. He looks like he's having a bad time. Um, he just got the it, constantly this whole movie. He just looks like he's in such a bad way the whole time. But he says, he says to the guy, do fish have dreams? And then the next shot is them at an aquarium and cage laughs. And it's like, you know, I don't know what that means. I don't know what, I don't know if Herzog knows what that means, but it's, it's beautiful. I think it's my neighbor's garbage disposal. Damn, it's loud. Yeah. I've never heard that before, actually. Yeah. Okay. This podcast is going to turn into a noise show. <laughs> he, um, um, and, and that reminds me, though, of one of the things, not to derail that. I mean, I don't know. Do you know what the reptiles mean? No, I, I don't. I, I mean, I have a lot of theories, but I, I you know, it's it's interesting because I think it says something that this was... Not the very last. I think he's made maybe one or two, but mostly like the last major film Herzog made before he kind of made a left turn into like nature documentaries. Mm -hmm. And 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 he did Grizzly Man a couple years before this, which yeah. really was the beginning of that. Right. But yeah, I, I think that Herzog just has like an obsession with um, like mankind's place in mother nature. Mm. If that makes any, yeah. I mean, that's a vague thing. I'm sure he has specific ideas he wants to explore with it, but yeah, I don't know. And I think that this movie was a way for him to kind of insert that into like a narrative film. These like heavy questions of, mm -hmm. you know, what is consciousness? Um, do animals feel or think the same way as humans do? Why? <laughs> just like, yeah. just like weird existential questions like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but. Um, yeah, he is fascinated with nature and, um, and here you have I, these animals like observing humans being, you know, mm -hmm. let, letting the hog loose. Yeah. Um, what, what I was reminded of was something that I think is really interesting and subversive about the movie is that we have these characters making or cage making like amoral choices, but like you said, he he gets off and his life gets better. There's like this like this great scene where he goes into the office and then every all of his problems just get solved like one after the other. <laughs> like Brad Dorif comes in, he's like, You didn't see the end of the game, did you? You made ten thousand dollars. And like, you know, and uh And then Shay Wiggum comes mm -hmm. in and he's like, uh He's like, never mind. Like we're, you know, it all is forgiven. We're not gonna go after you anymore. And like, and then his lucky crack pipe was found at the scene where yeah. he tipped the guy off, and uh, exhibits going to jail. And uh, you know, and then he gets promoted to captain. Eva Mendez is pregnant. It's like all just like, you know. And there's something so great about a movie that. He sort of shows somebody just being depraved and uh, using their 
privileged to uh, get away with it. Get away with it. Well, and, and then and, he succeeds more. And yeah. that, that really does feel there is no big moral hammer narrative uh, deus ex machina that comes I mean, down and, yeah. and hurts him. It's just like, yeah, everything's fine. I mean, if anything, the message is kind of anti-cop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, I think Herzog hates cops. Yeah, and, um, and we see we see cops as, like, bumbling fools and t- corrupt monsters. That are just never not abusing their power. Mm-hmm. Um, except Michael Shannon, because uh, <laughs> he's afraid he might get caught. I, I would put him in the bumbling fool yeah, yeah, category. Yeah, 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 I, yeah I, would, I would for sure. Um, do, you, do you think alligator crossing accidents are that common in Louisiana? <laughs> Like, do they just happen all the time? Probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was such a good... The setup so of good. that scene was insane. The camera pans down yeah. on, on the... Yeah. And I love, and he comes up to the cop to try and get the ticket erased, and the guy's acting like an actual cop. And then, like, Farusa Balk is just like, oh, yeah, I would have told you not to talk to that guy. He's a prick. A, a clutch Farusa Balk cameo. I know, Farusa Balk's there, in this movie. There's so many good people in this movie. Um, in another like just kind of strange scene you know like it's just like the scenes uh, so many of the scenes just don't play out with exactly the narrative beats that you think they would or you know i'll say this they inform all scenes inform the story but not all of them advance the plot exactly does does that make sense exactly yes it does and and to the point where it's like a two-hour long movie and you're like what was the plot really he was a bad lieutenant i guess that case got solved a bunch of people's lives were touched where it rippled out like you said but what what have we learned what what are where are we i don't know um but it's not not because the movie is is vapid or empty but because it's just like dense and strange but yeah, like I learned that Cage does a great uh, John Wayne slash Clint Eastwood. <laughs> it's true. I mean, this is that seems like all the way that he's all hunched over uh-huh. in like the ill-fitting suit, <laughs> and he's got he's just got the revolver like tucked it's into the it's front like a of fucking him. Magnum. It's like, like that is not Magnum. that is against all police protocol <laughs> yeah, to carry your weapon like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like tucked into his slacks. <laughs> Yeah, that was not a standard issue gun. But um, even is it Kilmer or someone at some point in the movie is like, you can't do that. That cowboy shit doesn't fly anymore. It's like one of his like yeah. higher ups. Which is, I think that's a good encapsulation of his entire attitude toward being a cop is but, that cowboy shit doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, but he does it anyway he does and it he anyway. gets away with it. Well, yeah, because there's a whole thing of like he he uh, threatens that old lady by cutting off her oxygen. And then he doesn't even get really get in trouble for that. But it's like that but her son is a congressman. So it's like, okay, you fucked. And then- Right, again, like you shouldn't have done that because you got caught. Exactly. Like and that, it's, you know, like no one reprimands him for doing it. It's right. because the it's because, it's because they might get influence. sued. Yeah. Right. And then Shea Wiggum is connected to mobsters who have some power. And it's just like, oh, you're fucking with, it's not that you are doing the wrong thing. You're just doing it to the wrong people. And, uh, and then they're like, oh, you're getting on, what do they call It's like modified- I, uh, I yeah, forget that yeah. they it's it's like oh he actually got in trouble but then he just keeps doing what he was doing before anyway he has his badge he has his gun he's just like fucking people over 
and uh, and he solves the case. There's like no more talk of it, and he gets awarded a medal. And it's like those beats don't matter really. They're right. just they're, it's just another part of his constant just existence between getting high and being high and fulfilling his base needs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it all works out. Alvin's uh, character's name is Big Fate. Oh God, dude, the gangster names are really silly. Um, did you notice how Cage laughed every time he said G? Yeah. That the, his henchmen yeah. are called Midget and G, which is just like the least, <laughs> least creative gangster name you could come up with. I mean, I, yeah, I could go on about the little like ticks and characterizations with this character. I think there's so many good ones. One of the ones that like made me literally laugh out loud is when, uh, the old woman comes back in to mm. her room and they close the door Dude. and he's standing behind it. Like he was obviously just like waiting for them to come back, but he's just been standing in the corner behind the door with like an electric, electric shaver. Yeah. And it's so <laughs> sinister and, and he's, funny. And he's just shaving his cheek as she, as she comes in the room. And then he likes he ambushes them. It's that's my second favorite scene. I think it's so fucking insane. Yeah. He, he he like. What's your first favorite scene? The iguana scene. Oh okay yeah yeah. yeah. yeah I think the iguana scene is my favorite. My second favorite is the the last scene with Exhibit where he gets him to hit his lucky crack pipe. Yeah that's uh, yeah that's really good too. But I, I love that scene where he, I mean just all of the choices he makes. The him shaving with that fucking razor is just really weird and insane and then yeah he he cuts off her oxygen and then he's like he, he's like i've been trying really hard to be polite and then he just loses it with them in a way that he doesn't he doesn't lose it with anybody else i mean he he's like he's losing it in different ways throughout the movie but him he he has that thing where he's like he, he's yelling, he's like, you fucks. I hate you both. You're the reason this fucking country's going down the drain. I know. <laughs> like talking about her, like that basically that she should die because her life support is draining her, her kids inheritance. You know, he has no, he has no, like, uh, he has no horse in that race. No, it's just, he but he's just like, what he's talking about, but he's just like, let's it go. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, him freaking out with, in that scene with the lucky crack pipe, Talking about the, he says, N-word elk. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, that right, right. fucking thing. Yeah. Which is just an insane, just the exact, exactly the kind of thing that somebody who's been not sleeping for days and just doing drugs and is coked up on power and <laughs> would just say to you and everyone's like, uh-huh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh, Yeah. So Cage, uh, Cage claims, unlike leaving Las Vegas, in which he was wasted 24-7, uh -huh. that he was totally sober during this movie, that he didn't use anything to, like, get into character. But for the scenes where he's snorting cocaine, he snorted, that's real baby powder. Ew. He actually snorted baby powder for the verisimilitude. That's fucked up. It's really fucked up. Don't and also, like, damaging, right? That can't be good for you. I think they have fake cocaine that you can snort that, like, doesn't... Yeah, I don't know why you would <laughs> need to do that. Um, I believe that he was sober during this, yeah. though, because I think he can get to this place without drugs by mm -hmm. this point. Did his accent change yes. like from scene to scene? I was going to talk about that. His voice gets weirder <laughs> as it goes on. I actually uh, recorded some of it once it like once you're like two-thirds of the way through the film. I don't even know. 
how to describe it. It's like really nasal, but like, I, I don't know. You didn't at any time threaten Antoinette Farley. No, I did not. But Tina, you should know a formal complaint's been filed alleging you cut off Mrs. Faringer's oxygen supply. Well, who's saying that? Mrs. Faringer? Is it true? I think she might be suffering from a little dementia. Lieutenant, we're asking if it's true. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, what is I that? I think she must be suffering from a little dementia. <laughs> it's weird. It's like he, he's doing like James Cagney or something. <laughs> yeah. It's really strange. It's so weird. Nobody comments on it in the film because, you know, it's clearly a choice that Cage made, but like, and not in the script. <laughs> it's it's really strange, you know, and, and it's it's a strange choice that Herzog clearly saw and encouraged. And like I said, it, it come, it, it's not random. Like it's definitely, it, it's in the later scenes, you know, there it's, it's thought it has an internal consistency, yeah. but it and, just doesn't, it, I just don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things that he's just like using a weird accent now for whatever reason, for some reason that just means something just to him, but it works. Yeah. It, it like, it helps it, whatever this characterization is, you know, it, it informs it. Uh, I think now's a good time to mention that Herzog and Cage refused to do this film if the other wasn't on board. Like they oh, both, interesting. Like Cage really wanted to work with Herzog, and Herzog really wanted to work with him, and uh, and they they both ad- admire each other's work, and they uh, that was like a stipulation, which I I'm, thought was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, dream team, really. Uh-huh. Like you know, in the same way with the Coens, mm-hmm. in the same way with. Like, um, you know, Herzog uh, said what what Lynch said, which is that Cage is a jazz musician. Yeah, well, and, and this performance I think is mo- most jazz than a yeah. lot of his other stuff because he's just he's riffing, he's riffing, and it's so much fun to watch. And every uh, like you said, uh, all the little ticks and choices that he makes like are just are so fun. And the thing is, like that's why you know the script is fine. The every everything else like yeah like everything comes into place but but the direction and Cage's performance are just both mesmerizing the, yeah. and and yeah. they're both like completely in sync with each other like if this movie had nothing else it would still be great because yeah. of those elements I mean luckily it has almost everything else going for it too though in talking about the direction I I'm even just thinking of the way the camera moves like yeah. said, around oh, yeah, yeah. Cage. And, um, it's, it's very, yeah, it's just very in sync. It's like a dance, but, um, it's, and, and it makes, I mean, it's just even more beautiful that they didn't, that Herzog knew exactly what he wanted and then he could kind of just wind cage up and let him go yeah. and, and get it. And then everything else is sort of orbiting around those two auteurs. This was a Saturn films production. It was, I, I was looking at the Saturn, uh, the list I was like, what, what's their like win loss ratio? And, uh, it's a little more losses than wins at this point. I would imagine, but you know, someday we'll have to do like a tally of Mm -hmm. all of them and then decide where each film lands. Uh, the club that he stakes out to shake down, uh, the young party goers Mm -hmm. for drugs and or sexual favors. I would say that's the most harrowing scene. That is really intense. It's it's really rough. Um, But the name of the club, which is a nice little touch that I noticed is uh, called Gators Retreat, (laughs) which is like what club in existence would actually be called Gators (laughs) Gators Retreat. Retreat. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, dude, that scene is fucking rough. It's like where he made he <sighs> That's another I think iconic scene and that one and the uh the one with the oxygen um him cutting off the old lady's oxygen I think like stand out because it's where it stops being purely like fun kind mm-hmm. of watching and you're like wow that's really fucked up like extremely yeah what does he say he, he he wants to hit the the pipe he goes where's the rock at where's who's got the kibble <laughs> it's like okay kind of fun he's like taking their drugs and doing it she's like shotgunning what he thinks is crack but is actually heroin uh into his mouth and then while she, they're doing some sort of sex, they're like grinding on each other. I don't know what. Then he's he's being like, did, did your parents beat you? Did they molest you? He's like, molest you. And it's like, it's so, and then it's like fucked up. And, and, and then the boyfriend or like the guy she's with tries to like run away. Right. And then he shoots, he like pulls his gun. Wait, does he shoot he shoots at the him? Air. Oh, that's right. He, he shoots, shoots the into air the air. And he's like, no, you have to watch. And he's watch. like, no, you have to stay and watch. It's so fucked up. Yeah. It's so fucked up. But then he, and then he's just, you see him in the, his car, like doing more drugs. And he's just like, oh, okay. You know, it's just like uh, another like rough night. <laughs> I really like I really like the whole sequence where he has the he's with the the witness the 15 year old kid oh. and he and he has to go pick up his his dad's dog and then he's in the car with the kid and the dog dude and, that's a buddy cop movie oh my right god there. and he gets a call from Ava Mendez he's like he's like you ever been to Biloxi <laughs> yeah. and he drives a witness he drives a witness and the dog that he's not supposed to have to his girlfriend's apartment to beat up the John and sh- shake down the John who she was with. And then they go to a casino together. It's just, I mean, in what other movie? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel good about this. I feel like we kind of touched on everything. There's other little things. There's this weird thing that I totally forgot about with the garden shed at his parents' house. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Yeah. Silver yeah. spoon that he, he found as a kid. And I was like, that's. And then at the end, uh, when everything is going well, he found the spoon. He's like, it's not silver after all. Right. It's just, it's it's a little rusty. And right. Ava Mendez is like, oh, it's beautiful. In a different movie, that would be like, you know, weighted with <laughs> this importance, but it's so... It's just another element in this, in yeah, this one. Yeah. You know, I'm coming, I'm coming out of this again, feeling like I can't really wrap my head around what this movie is. Oh, another another thing that I feel like we should mention is that part where he says, shoot him again, his soul still dancing. And, oh, uh, the break the dance. Break, there's a dude starts break dancing and they play, he plays the music from, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Strojek, I think. Oh which yeah. Is, um, from the famous ending of that movie where, uh, it, the character goes to watch a chicken dance in, <laughs> inside of like a coin-operated arcade machine and it plays that same song. During the making of that scene, Herzog's crew was so, they hated that scene and they hated that, it, they, they were like refused to work on it because they thought it was so stupid and like anticlimactic and so he shot it himself. And so like, what's the significance of him play, <laughs> playing that music again while the surreal breakdance happens and like, I don't know, but uh, there it's it cool. is. There it, it is. makes for a compelling scene. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is, this is like, I don't know if I have like one thing I can say is like the overall thesis of the movie mm-hmm. or, but, but it just all is 
compelling enough that it just makes for a great movie. I think, you know, my takeaway is just that it's really nice to watch a film that after watching films that aspire to be blockbuster hits and fail for, I mean, what we, Astro Boy, G-Force, Knowing, uh, Next, Bangkok Dangerous. Like, I think that's the run that we're coming off of. And none of those were really aiming for high art. They were all aiming for blockbuster success and they, and they failed, failed at that. Like real bad. Whereas this aims at art, succeeds at being a, a blockbuster success, at least for it, for its scale. And, uh, you know, we it just, it feels good. It feels like uh, right. we finally have something to really chew on. Please what, shit turd? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I wrote down a couple good ones that he says. Oh, oh I love the part where he... <laughs> He comes out of the house after like arresting the the dude who he found hiding in the wardrobe, and he he just starts laughing and he looks at everyone and goes, "I love it. I I just love it." <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. Yeah. Well, so next time, kick ass, kick ass. Which I'm excited. For I'm this. excited about that too. Friend and fan of the show, Lex will actually be in LA. No way. Yeah, so. When? Um, through January. I don't know. When do you get back from Sundance? February 4th. When do you leave? The 22nd? 22nd. Oh, maybe we can do it before that. Yeah, I'm down. So. Let's try it. So, yeah, cool. very, very special episode. Nice, nice. Cool. Well. Gonna, gonna welcome her into the Panther Den. Yes. In, uh, not just over s- Skype. Skype, or yeah. Wait, wait, what episode? What was the episode she guessed it on? Conair. Yeah, oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a while ago. Fuck, that yeah, was like time. that was like two years ago, dude. Know, We've been dude. doing this damn fifty-one, 51 episodes. episodes. It's crazy. Jesus, it's crazy. Jesus. Uh, oh, happy birthday to Cage! Yeah. Uh, it was a couple days ago, as we're recording this, that he celebrated his birthday. How old is he now? Fifty-five, mid fifties. I'm not one hundred percent positive. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. I saw Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, did you? It was really good. Good. He I'm does excited a, to talk about it. He does a fine job. I mean, good. the movie is great. Cage is it's fine. Cage is fine in it. He doesn't derail it. Yeah. He's just not that good of a voiceover actor. No. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but. I mean, the Speckles. Yeah. He was, he was pretty good at Speckles, but uh, not that good right um <laughs> but yeah I, I hope that by the time i post this it's still available in theaters but i recommend you should cool. see it on the big screen that yeah. the animation is truly oh, that's like good. Yeah, something maybe, to behold maybe i'll see it yeah it's by the time we review it it's gonna be what like a year from now at least <laughs> uh oh i've seen mandy since uh or i guess since i don't know but that was good i saw mandy recently yeah yeah i, really I also liked saw it. mandy um excited to talk about that yeah I don't know. That's about it. Just some fucking other cage housekeeping things. Yeah. Well, anyway, as always, uh, rate and review us. Yes, please. Uh, please uh, tell your friends and uh, keep listening. We have a we have a really good run of movies coming up. Yeah. Uh, Kick Ass, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna be good. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, rate and review us on the app. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Heat Seeking Panther. And until next time.
respond. Yeah, and, and Nicholas Cage is, is amazing. No, most of it was, was very clear, disciplined, professional work. Sometimes um, he knew, and I would tell him, this is a moment where you turn the hawk loose. <laughs> and he would go completely wild, and, and those are some of the most remarkable moments in, in the film, like with a dancing soul, when they, there's a shootout, and he wants to have one man who is dead shot again. Wise, what force is one of the henchmen of the, of the bad guy, and, and Nicholas says uh, his soul is still dancing shoot him again and it's so strange and you see a break dancer in the same costume twirling around and it's completely demented.